looking at the all cars chart right here. Oh, big dog's in. Schmitty! What do you think, Schmitty? You could just pull shit off. Talk to Schmitty. He's so fucking busy. Shit, my pants, lad. Yeah, roll the decks, it's fucking deep. Are you ready? Good luck, Schmitty. Hello, welcome back. Talking Schmidt. I'm on three cups of coffee. It's Father's Day and I just drove into Oakland. Haven't seen this guy in 2019 for sure, but I definitely have seen him more often than any other guitarist. This is Jake Palladino. You pronounced it right. Woo! <laughs> What's up? You know, we're just hanging here in uh, my practice space in Oakland. And uh, we've got the mood lighting going. <laughs> I like the mood lights. We're in uh, Jake's uh, studio here. We got two drum sets, hella amps, mm -hmm. hella like uh, just all kinds of music equipment. It's pretty radical. And then strings of lights all around us. Um, we're going to start with like uh, your background, mm -hmm. where you were born and raised. I, I'm guessing it was upstate New York. Um. Barely upstate. It's oh. one of those things, like, people consider, like, if you're from the boroughs, anything north of the boroughs is upstate. But yet, I was, like, I could probably walk to the Bronx. Oh. I grew up in a town called Eastchester, and, uh, yeah, it's right next to Yonkers. Most people have never heard of Eastchester, so I just always say Yonkers. Yonkers. Because people have heard of that. But, yeah, it was, like... I was right next to the commuter rail, so I'd be down in Manhattan in like 25 minutes. Right. Oh, okay. And how long did you live there till? Uh, till I was 26. I mean, I went to high school a little bit farther north than that, but I always lived in that general area. Oh, till your mid-20s. Yeah, yeah. And then I moved to California, <laughs> and I've been here since. Right. Yeah, I hit 20 years in California this year. What age did you find a skateboard? Uh, I was in the seventh grade. Uh-huh. So I don't know what age you are then, but I definitely remember it was seventh grade. And, I mean, there was a little, like, banana board that was around my house that, like, my stepfather showed up with one day. So uh -huh. I learned how to actually stand and roll down our street on it. One of those plastic ones? It was fiberglass, and it's crazy. I think back now. And it had road riders and Bennett trucks on there, so I wish I still had that. How cool. Yeah, I was... And then, you know, of course, a couple of years later, I got into like, you know, what we know of skate is skateboarding. And uh, I bought a Powell Ripper Powell from Ripper. a bike shop in our town. And uh, I still have that board. No way. Yeah, it's hanging. I've got a little uh, music studio at my house and it's hanging on the wall in there. Sick. So yeah. that was your first like seven ply board or? Yeah, that was my first like real skateboard. Right. Yeah, I think I had like trackers on there and like you know, the, uh, the ones with the plastic base plates uh -huh. that would crack, or then they, then they improved them, I guess improved. They tried to improve them because they made them, like, all bulky. Right. But then the kingpins would get loose in there. Yeah, that was not the best design. And then I think I've been just riding indies ever since. What, you know, drew me to it is just, like, you know, my little clique of friends, we all got into it, and we're, you know, we're the weirdos of the town and then you meet like the weirdos in each other town. So it was more like this weird, like, oh my God, there's like, I can have this social aspect and we can just be our little adolescent hyper selves and piss off cops and everybody right. <laughs> around, you know? It was just, you know, it was, you have a lot to get out at that, that age. And it's, 
I don't know, skateboarding just was just, yep, here, come on in. Here's some weirdos that you can be weird with and just roll around and, I don't know, fall down and get back up. and Sure. Yeah. Skateboarding come to you kind of at the same time as your music started to develop, like what bands you were getting into or were you already into music or did that come later? No, um, well, I had... My parents listened to a lot of music around the house. It was like always, the radio was always on. So I grew up always hearing music. My parents were definitely into, I guess, what's called classic rock now. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, I'd go through, my dad had this just piles and piles of like tapes that he recorded off his friend's records. Nice. So I remember going through and I, I was probably in like the second grade and I found like a Devo tape. And I was just like, what is this? You know, it was like, I, in grammar school, it was like Devo Police Van Halen. Right. And that's just, that was the world to me. So, but middle school, around when I got into skateboarding, is when more aggro music, like, you know, I'd, you know, you discover Metallica and like suicidal tendencies. And, you know, so the punk and metal all kind of came in there. Uh huh. What were some of the early punk bands that you were really hyped on? I loved New York hardcore in high school. Because it was like all happening around where I was, uh -huh. so it was just like it was like it was like how skateboarding was. It's just like it's accessible, you know. It's not like there's these superstars. Right. When you're 14, you think these people are bigger and more famous than they are, but it's just still accessible. You can you see these people like I was listening to like you know Gorilla Biscuits, Agnostic Front, all that type of stuff. Um, I go see Murphy's Law almost every weekend. Mm. And, and then when you see a band, it's like, oh, wait, there's a skateboarder in the band? You know, Token Entry was an old New York hardcore band. And when you saw a picture of Timmy Chunks with the skateboard, I'm just like, these are my people. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. That's pretty similar to here. Like, I would see DRI and Verbal Abuse almost every Friday at the, at the farm they would play. Yeah. And it would be like, those two bands fucking stoked and then there's probably like three or four other bands that maybe are touring or local whatever but it was always dri and verbal abuse and then you'd see like holy shit this i remember i think it was called the false prophet uh -huh. and they burned a bible on stage and it was just so like powerful and we yeah. were like oh my god <laughs> you know but uh oh my god they're burning a bible because you yeah. know at that age you haven't seen anything like that and it just seemed so outlandish yeah so it's cool. Yeah, I guess that is interesting about the local bands. Was there any bands that you, like, were you in a Minor Thread or oh, of course. Bad Brains? Yeah, then, you know, Minor Thread, Bad Brains, Misfits, you know, the staples. Right. Um, which were cool, but they were still, they weren't from where I was, so I couldn't go see them as much. Okay. You know, and Minor Threat and Bad Brains were kind of done by that time. Sure. You know, Bad Brains hadn't come back, and Minor Threat were just, I'm just a little too young for that. So what years is this about? Um, seventh grade, I graduated in 91, so I, seventh grade, it would have been around like 88, oh, I okay. guess. Yeah, I, I think my first show was 85. Okay, are you older than me? Yeah, I think so, huh. for sure. And then how did you meet Dave and Shane? Well, Shane and I are from the same town in New York. Oh. But it's weird, I went to high school about a half hour north of that. So weirdly enough, like Shane and I went to school together for one year. He was in seventh grade, I was in eighth, but we didn't know each other. Huh. And then like months after I moved, I still remember like the moment I met Shane. 
it's funny. My friend, I had this friend, uh, Mug, and he and I were just like skate buddies. And it had rained early that morning and we were walking to his house to get our skateboards. And we see Shane and this dude, Beanie, like riding skateboards. They're like, what the fuck are other skateboarders doing in our town? So we went up to them and we made plans and we went skating like an hour from then. And yeah, so I met Shane when I was in the ninth grade. Huh. Yeah. And were you, when did you when did, when did you start playing guitar? Um 6th or 7th grade? 6th or 7th. And were you already in a band in 9th grade or Um at that point I had played music with some people in 9th grade. Maybe not when I met Shane, but shortly after that I had a hardcore band uh called Counterattack. That was the first band you <laughs> yeah, were in? I still have the demo tape. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone put it up on the internet. We're going to have to play one of the songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. 
it's great. Yeah, I still talk to uh, Ray, who sang on it. Um, you know, and I haven't talked to Darren, the drummer, in a while, but he's an awesome human being. And Billy, the bassist, it's been years, but he was another skate friend. We all skated. Okay. You know, we we're all like you know little skate kids. Right. And started a hardcore band. Is there anybody else from um, back in that area that moved to SF that's here now? Um, or that was here? I mean, yeah, a lot of our crew oh, like, really? moved out. Yeah, Shane moved out like six months before I did. And we all ended up in the um, house 1040 Hampshire Street in the Mission yep. in 99. And it was like Cappy, Dave Kaplan was in there, Shane... Um, who else was from the East Coast? Al Boogie. I don't know. You know, Augustopolis? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just saw him when I was out in New York. Dude's awesome. How oh, cool. Um, Eric Eufer. Yeah, there was a whole crew of people that had, like, gone through, um, you know, uh, you know, Delson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, I got him in that house. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, then there was another bunch of group of New York, or New Jersey people, because he had, like, Sean John and uh, Don Finelli. And, uh, yeah, so it was just like... Sean John's from Jersey? Yeah. Oh, that makes total sense. I never knew that. Yeah. So, yeah, that house was... That was bonkers. It's like I moved to California. I ended up in a house with, like, it was anywhere between 9 and 13 people living in there. We had the ramp in the yard. It was just, yeah, there was just no rules. We were, like, feral children. It was total like lord of the flies in that place oh my god (laughs) yeah is that how did hightower get together so i met dave at a party shane actually introduced me to dave and i don't know if you knew this dude omar he didn't skate but uh he was around for a bit and they had a band and i met them at a party in do you remember there was a house on van ness at 16th and I think it was a Dave Franklin photo show in the basement. And, oh. it, like, Cairo lived Cairo, there. Yeah, yeah. Pete yeah. Thompson. Yeah, it was, yep. like, that whole house. Yeah, Seth Cheeks. Yeah, so I met uh, Dave and Omar in the basement there because Shane's like, oh, Jake just moved here. You guys are looking for a guitarist in your band. So we had, like, this, like, short-lived project. And then uh, when that all kind of fizzled out, like, Hightower just happened because we were just playing in the house that, uh, in the 1040 house that we lived in. Oh, Dave lived there too? Dave lived on 24th Street right. in Alabama. He was basically in you know, the house, but just didn't have to sleep there. He was lucky. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys would just get together and jam? Yeah, we had the kitchen had a drum set and some amps set up in there. And there was always like a rotating cast of people. Uh-huh. Like I used to work graveyard shift, and my room was right next to where the instruments were. And it like... I'd get home at 7.30, I'd be asleep at 8, and like 8.30 in the morning, Sean John would start playing drums right outside the door. <laughs> but yeah, it all started in that kitchen, and then eventually we got a practice space when we like, were just like, oh, shit, yeah, we're a band. Like, let's like get a practice space and get a van and just drive around everywhere. Yeah, you guys started accumulating songs before the practice space? Yeah. Like you actually had stuff like, oh, this is song A or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think um, we recorded a four-song demo. In 1040? No, we recorded it. Um, our friend uh, Lars Savage recorded it out at a friend's house in Hunter's Point. Oh, okay. And, uh, but I think we wrote, we wrote at least one of those songs in 1040. Oh. Maybe all of them. I don't know exactly when we moved into the practice space. Yeah. But it was definitely when I was living there. Is it true that Shane 
didn't really know how to play the drums before that started? Like he wasn't, like he was playing another instrument or something? Shane has always dabbled in many instruments. Uh-huh. And uh, so like, he wasn't the most proficient drummer, but he could sit behind a kit and like hang out and play. Oh. Because the original plan was Shane was going to sing and we were going to find a drummer. Uh-huh. Because Shane sang in, a, in an old ska punk band that we were in the East Coast. Oh. And Shane had just like, Shane's, when I first met Shane, he was playing bass. Uh-huh. And he and I would like hang out and jam like Circle Jerk songs and stuff. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, Shane's had tons of guitars. He's just kind of, you know, he just picks things up and tries to learn them. So we're just like, well, we should just like, you know, you know how to keep a beat. So let's just start writing with you on drums. And then it just was, we're just like the power trio just like worked. Uh-huh. And we just started writing. And I think that's why we never had a lot of vocals. Yeah. Was because that was the gap that Shane was supposed to fill. But it just, we just started writing things. And we just, you know, so much music came from skate videos. Uh-huh. So we wanted to write songs that sounded like music that should be in skate videos. Like all the cool things we heard from skate videos, like, you know, McRad, like all the old kind of like, you know, Powell music and stuff like that. And yeah. then like... You know, of course, the H Street videos brought in, like, none of us had heard of, like, Op Ivy and things like that until H Street. So it's just, like, it was just music for skate videos. There's little hints I could, you know, if we were sitting down listening, I could point out, like, oh, that's when Dave wanted to have, like, this Latin flair there, you know, because <laughs> he was listening to, like, this. You know, this is when we tried to do this psychedelic thing here. So it definitely came from more places, but it all was from that heart. How did the band get its name? Oh, it's a... <laughs> it's not a character from Police Academy, right? Yeah, it is. It is? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it, we were, I don't remember which one of us came up with it, but we were tossing around a bunch of names, and a lot of the names we were tossing out were like things that A, sounded cool, and had some sort of inside joke. So, I know she, Dave was, he said he'd quit the band if we were going to call it Ice Hole. <laughs> Shane spray painted Ice Hole on the ramp and everything. <laughs> Because <laughs> we're, we're like into Johnny Isol. Dangerously, yeah. Wow. Well, you can use it if you, you know, okay. next time New you're band, band. Yeah. Welsh, where you at? <laughs> yeah, I'd love it if you and a Welsh were in a band. <laughs> we got to play with Agnostic Front one time. And afterwards, I'm like, well, I need to meet Vinny Stigma. So I go backstage and like in that back room up at the park side and see Vinny Stigma. And I introduce myself. And he's like, oh, yeah, you and Hightower. I watch you guys. Pretty good stuff. Tell Tackleberry I say hello. <laughs> I'm like, Vinny Stigma gets it. Damn, that <laughs> yeah. rules. Yeah. Do you have a moment, like, was there a band that you guys opened for or anything? That, what was, like, the best band you ever opened for? We were just lucky to play with so many, like, of our, like, heroes from growing up. Like, you know, like, Agnostic Front was just yeah. crazy to me because uh-huh. I had been going to see them since before I could drive. Um, we played with Bad Brains one time. No way. Yeah, out at like uh, the Harmony Fest. Oh. Yeah, it was, that was a weird scene. It was, uh, yeah, it was like two days. Bad Brains were headlining the day we played. Was that like out of Santa Rosa a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I, it was, I, I it was up in that. Sonoma. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah, they had the mini mega ramp yeah. and Shelly put it on. Yeah. We all, they were like, okay, yeah, can we camp out? And they're like, yeah. And they put us right behind the porta potties. Oh, man. And that night, uh, Lizard King was there, and he gave mushrooms to everyone. I heard about that. <laughs> yeah, we had a 
we had an acoustic high tower show in the Eco Dome that yeah. night. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was interesting. Like, what are some of the best tour like moments that you've had? Well, that entire summer with streets was just the most bonkers thing ever. Was that the BSE? Yeah, that was like that was the best summer ever tour, and we didn't like go out with the name best summer ever. We were calling it like the Monsters of Skate Rock. Uh-huh. <laughs> but partially through the trip, the name got coined. Because we were in, we had a day off uh, in New Orleans, and we all went on this rafting trip. You know, like they take you in the bus up the upstream, and then you go down, you got a cooler beer with you, you know, lazy float downstream. Right. What a great thing to do on a day off with your friends. Fuck yeah. And the basis of Streets, Ma P, he was super late getting to the bus. Like he had to run back to the van for something. And I like was with him just to make sure, you know, sometimes... We all need a handler. Yeah. <laughs> and the bus is like driving off and we get, they let us on and everyone's just staring at us, you know, because we're the late guys. And Ma P just looks at me, he's like, this is going to be the best summer ever. And from that moment, it was, because it really was, it was such a coming of age summer. Yeah. Like we had done cross country tours, you know, by ourselves. And, you know, of course we met tons of great people and bands. But streets had such a similar mindset. Uh-huh. It was just like a group of friends who skated, were into punk rock and metal and like whatever else came out of it. And we just booked this tour and it's like some shows would have people, some shows would have none. And we just like try and hit every skate spot right. that like along the way. It's like, you know, go through Arizona, tons of ditches. You know, when we were in New Orleans, there's like those uh, little banks under the bridge and there's like just everywhere. It's like, show us your skate spots and swimming holes. Was that like 2000? That was 2002, I think. 2002. Yeah. And then the next summer we went out, we did a cross country with walking. So that was before social media for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like now you could just say, hey, we're coming to your town, bring us to your skate spot. But back then, how did you guys run it? Maximum Rock and Roll had this thing called Book Your Own Fucking Life. So we would call that, like call a bunch of people and it's like a list of punk houses across the country. Uh And usually the houses are done, but they refer you. You know, we had the internet, so we'd just be Googling like any venues, you know, that had anything similar. Um, Called Skate Shops, because since we all skated, you know, like the community, I think... At that point, we uh, we had a couple of songs in skate videos already. Okay. Because I know the first song we had uh, in a video was uh, when Ethan Indorf was editing it. Uh, he did Playing in Traffic. Mm. And he put us in that. So we were trying to piggyback off the skate world. Cause that was the first video yeah. that you guys were in? Yeah. Because the skate world always helped us out more than the music world. Shout out to Indorf. Shout out. Yeah, Indorf, <laughs> that dude's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he and I are doing a little project coming up soon at some point when we have free time oh like i've been making music on my own and he does all those amazing video animations so we're kind of doing a little project together oh cool yeah did you kind of do a lot of it on the fly or did was it all like in advance like did you have it set before you left or were you doing shit on the fly uh both okay like we had we knew spots that we we'd be able to go Uh because we had we'd been to arizona a few times we had friends in Florida, definitely, um, like uh, our friend John, he played in a band called Asshole Parade. He grew up with Shane and I in New York, so he's like, oh, yeah, come here. Of course, New York was a stronghold. Right. Dave, Dave is from Des Moines, so we knew we had something there. And we just kind of like, we'd call a lot of friends and be like, can you book us a show? And just kind of piece it together. And then there was some things on the road, like uh, 
I guess social media was out because I know we put up somewhere, maybe it was like MySpace or something. Fenster. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. I know we put somewhere that like a couple of shows fell through after New York. And uh, do you know Taylor from Rochester? Um, he had a skate shop at the time called Hard Packed. Um, he's been to like all the Rob Stocks and everything. He's mm. an amazing human being. And he got in touch with us. He had that skate shop and he's just like, oh, I'll hook you up as a show in Rochester. And we're like, sure. The scene in Rochester, you know, like they're hungry. Yeah. So when you go there, people go ape. Okay. It's, it's just, yeah, some of the best shows ever have been in Rochester. And the bands up there are all like, they're just weird and gnarly and like mixed with fun. It's like danger and fun all combined and a lot of people skate and yeah. I We walked into the shop and Rob had, Low Card was still in its infancy and Rob was like silk screening on socks and I had a pair of Low Card socks that he had silk screened on. And Taylor was like, where did you get those? You know, I'm like, I think Rob made like four pairs. <laughs> I somehow got some. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was going to ask you is what city like you look forward to going to. Yeah, we don't Rochester's so out of the way, so don't get there enough. Denver's always always fun. We still try and go out there when we can. Uh-huh. Um, cuz like all the frontside five yeah, people, the, they just they hook it up every time and Denver like people know how to have fun there. They got a good scene. Oh, completely. And there's tons of stuff to skate Backyard out there. Backyard pools and Yeah. Yeah, and, that's cool. And there's that full pipe up in Leadville. Right. You go camp near it. Uh, true or false, I did background vocals on one of your guys' songs. Oh, yeah, which was recorded right up the street from here. Yeah. Yeah, on a, at, a, what do you call it, at Earhammer Studios. You still remember the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> it was really hard. It was like the road, maybe the van. The skate. The skate. So there was like four uh, the somethings, mm -hmm. and Dave Fallis had it all written on cards. Oh. <laughs> and he'd be like, okay. It was mm -hmm. like, dude, if we can't remember this. <laughs> yeah. There was like 13 of us in there or something. Yeah. We had, you know, it was you, uh, Tracy, Halsey. Mm -hmm. Who else maybe Endorf was there. I don't know, but it's a possibility. Maybe far I forget. I yeah, it was God, maybe J Dog or something. I'm gonna go home and look at the record and look at the. Oh, list. Or is it on there? Yeah, yeah. Everyone's credited. Okay, right. If I'm correct, we credit it as like we didn't even put like that like additional vocal. I think we put like everyone as if everyone was in the band. Oh, like the whole. Yeah, it's you know it's communal. You got, you've been in Hightower. Damn, <laughs> I'm so sick. What's like the biggest show that you guys have played people-wise? Um, like a festival or something probably? Yeah, probably that festival. Oh, the one in, um, with Bad Brains? Yeah. Okay. Um, we did a couple of shows at Slim's that were, you know, pretty packed. Uh-huh. Um, not because of us. I think the most packed shows were like when we do skate events. Okay. Yeah. What about was one of the highlights had to have been when you guys did the, uh, what was it, the SF Weekly Award, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what was that like new band or something so it was it was 2004 
I just I had the trophy for years, uh-huh. and I just handed it off to Dave. So in ten years, you know, Dave will hand it off to Shane or something like that. <laughs> so, and it was uh, a the view the reader's choice or reader's poll or whatever, and it was the best hard rock heavy metal band. And it was us, Parchman Farm with Eric Shea uh-huh. and High on Fire. Whoa. The three were in the running. And social media was just starting at that point. So we used it to our advantage and we just like put out there like, hey, everyone, go to the weekly website and vote for us. And I, I swear that's the only reason why we'd be High on Fire is because they didn't do that. Oh. Yeah. But High on Fire weren't nearly as big as they are now also, uh-huh. but they were still bigger than we were. Yeah. Yeah. And we, none of us expected to win. Is there a video of that at all? Like there, your speech acceptance? Well, there is, but they wouldn't release it to us because they had like these rules, like don't touch the microphone. Beforehand, like for all the people who were like, you know, nominated, uh-huh. you got to go down there and they like had food and like Cabo Wabo tequila, you know, which wasn't that great, but we drank a lot of it. Yeah. You know, it was, it was that era, you know, we were, we were partying a bit. Yeah. And so the plan was, it's like, no matter where we are, you know, like, if somehow we win this, like, we'll all just meet on the stage. And we go up. Oh, they didn't announce who won until oh, that night? Yeah, you didn't know until, like, oh. they were up there saying it. Whoa. And they're like, and the winner is high, and I'm expecting on fire. And they're like, tower. And I'm just like, what the fuck? So I, at that point, I wasn't near Shane or Dave because we didn't know when they were announcing either. So I just, I threw my drink. I climb up on the stage and like Shane and Dave are like right behind me and I'm sure we're all just talking over each other (laughs) as we do. And there's a picture of it. So the thing that got us kind of upset with us was when we were all up there, we brought Tracy with us. Oh. And Tracy comes running across the stage and tries to dogpile on us. And uh, (laughs) uh, Maria Skeletor was with us too. (laughs) And so she tries to dogpile. She knocks all of us over. And the, the whole podium goes down. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and they're just like, you guys, off. No way. <laughs> yeah, so we tried to get photos or any video, and they just, they're like, no. You think uh, I Am the Wall Ride is your guys welcome to the jungle, or what? <laughs> <laughs> it's the one everyone knows. Yeah. Yeah, it's been in multiple videos, and it's like, yeah, it's like we have to play that at every show. Uh-huh. Describe the slug to somebody who doesn't know about it. I just sold the slug like six months ago. I had the van for 15 years. Wow. Yeah. The slug was the best, one of the best investments I've ever made because I paid six grand for it. It was a diesel Ford Econoline, 1998, no, 97. And uh, it was like the longest. And it also had like this pop, not a pop top, but a, a high roof like added to it. Yep. So you could stand up in it. So we built a loft in there. All the gear would go in the back under the loft and, you know, get locked up in there. So you'd have to rip the back doors off to get to the gear. Mm-hmm. So then the whole front, it's the two front seats and then a, then a bench seat and then the loft, which had a bed on it. So we could easily have, like, a bunch of people in there. But going cross-country for 10 weeks with five people, like us three and two roadies, was completely comfortable. It was sad to get rid of it. Yeah, I remember cruising around in, in the slug and just mm-hmm. being like, 
I could see going cross country in this thing. Oh yeah, it was all about comfort. It was luxurious. Oh, and how many? What was the most amount of times you guys played in one year? Did you play over a hundred times in oh, one year once? Yeah, probably a hundred and fifty. We were trying to just like go for it, uh-huh. and that's. I, I think that, that was that would have been probably around like two thousand five ish because it was that was the summer we went out with with Walkin and they did eight weeks and then we stayed on the road for another two weeks. So just on that, we played, we had like five nights off that whole trip. Oh, okay. So, you know, it was just, it was a lot of, uh, a lot of, just right there was a lot of shows. And then we were going up and down the coast. We were going up to Vancouver all the time at that point. So we probably played Vancouver twice that year. Went down to LA, Arizona, all that. So yeah, we were just, we were hitting it. Let's take a quick time out, hear from some of our peeps, and we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now's for the moment every babe has been waiting for. Okay. We're going to get the puppy breast story. <laughs> okay. So the year, the year is 2000. Um, I was still fresh because I moved out here at the end of 99. And there was a road trip we were going on. And it was the road trip. We rented three cars because none of us had cars. It was like a minivan and two cars. And in my car, it was Dave Fallis and Delson. The other cars were like, it was Shane, Collinson, Jonah Broom, Jay Marsh, Clemoff, um, Talba. It was, it was a crew. And I didn't really know a lot of them yet, but I wanted to go on this. Like, it was like a week or two. And I had gotten sick, like, right before we left. And I'm just like, I have to go on this, even if I don't care how sick I am. And everything coming out of my body, like, just smelled so bad. My burps were smelling like farts. It was just, it was terrible. I've never had that happen before or after, thankfully. And we had a C, we had CB radio so we could talk to each other because you didn't have cell phones yet. And Delson actually said something like, yeah, we got puppy breath over here. And Collinson heard that and just rolled with it. <laughs> so anyone who calls me puppy breath, I know I met through Rob. Oh. Yeah. So, and it's actually kind of a cute nickname. Yeah. <laughs> so it's because puppies have nice breath. Yeah. Speaking of Rob, Rob's been texting me adamantly during this whole interview, and he wants to ask you to um, talk about uh, Rob Stock. <laughs> oh, I'm sad that I'm not going this year. I didn't go last year. It's weird because we, I had been to every single one up until last year. Yeah. You guys initiated it, right? You were the first ones. Yeah. We played every year. Uh huh. Um, just that's we would book our tours around it because mm. we knew okay Rob Stock's the first weekend in August, so we would plan it so that was our turnaround point. So we'd tour all the way out there and then turn around and come back. So Rob Stock, it just it started as this thing with just like Rob's friends and it got huge because he started putting it on the internet and people from all over went and it, it was always just fun. It's like you know 
just domestic lighting things on fire, streets out there, fireworks, Frontside Five, all the Rochester bands, yeah. like, um, yeah, Sloppy Wild Sam. Slams, dudes jumping out of trees to drop into oh a quarter God. pipe or something. Yeah, just like the, you know, losing yourself in the woods and like tearing shingles off the house to fuel the fire, Scrooby falling in the fire, <laughs> like so much, and just swimming at six mile every day with a bunch of friends. I never have gone. You know? It's, it's kind of like Tampa. I feel like after a while, I was just like, it's kind of more, now it's like too late. I'm just going to not go. I'm going to say that's one of those things I never went to. <laughs> I get it, because it's, like, it's, it's like a lot of things. The... It's still going to be fun for people, and I'm so stoked for, like, the younger gen going out there and having a great time. Yeah. But, you know, like, we had our special time then. It was another yeah, coming of age. For sure. And Rob is just amazing to do this, like, and just open up this land for everyone and provide a good time. And yeah. And just a place where people can... And out just, in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah, and people can just go buck for a minute. I do want to go to Maine. It's one of the few states I haven't been to. Oh, really? Yeah. It's so. beautiful up there. Yeah, maybe we will go to... Maybe I'll tell Rob that once I go, he can't do another one. <laughs> Figure out when the, <laughs> the final Rob stock is. I'm sure the final Rob stock is going to, like, you know, bands are going to reform to play it. Dude, and... the final Rob stock. Let's just start booking it now, like how, uh, you know, bands are like, we're breaking up, and then they play again, but it's the hype. Yeah, there's been, like, how many last Judas Priest tours? The last Rob stock every year. Yeah. That's from now on. Rob, <laughs> come on. All right, I did get a couple questions from some of the bros. Mm -hmm. Shane says to ask you about Counterattack and Jiker. Well, we already mentioned those because Counterattack was my first hardcore band. Uh huh. Um, we talked about that, and Jiker was it was our ska punk band. I that played, was the ska punk. Yeah, band. Shane sang. We were loosely ska punk. Um, That's we, out in New York still. Yeah, yeah. This is when we all still lived out there. It was like. We broke up because Shane moved to California. How did you meet up with the um, the Damascus guys? Was that at Rob's? No. Uh, well, we played with them out there, but we met them before that because we played in New Bedford, Mass. On one of the tours, it was uh, Craig Piva who's got the No Problemo Burrito Shop. He uh -huh. used to live in San Francisco. We met him. He moved back and he put on a block party outside his burrito shop. Okay. It was like him and uh, Solstice Skateboards like the skate shop around the corner. And yeah, so Damasic played and we met them at that. And then we started just going up to Rhode Island and hanging out with like Damasic and the package and <laughs> just all those wild. fucking rule. Oh my God, yes. I mean, I, I wore my Damasic shirt today because I figured I should do something yes. appropriate to the timeline that you're probably asking a lot about. Yeah. I remember I was, t I was telling this story before. Um, the first time I met those guys in person mm -hmm. i had heard of them i think i don't even think i had seen them live mm -hmm. uh was the trife party oh and they flew out to play but there was this gnarly storm um and flights were being delayed and canceled mm -hmm. and all i remember is logan called me on the phone and i had never talked to him mm -hmm. and he's like He's got this really thick Scottish accent, if mm -hmm. you don't know who Logan Hill is. Um, just awesome dude with fucking, all he wants to do is laugh. And fucking, he's like, don't fucking worry, we'll make it, we're coming. We're going to drive to 
like they were in like Connecticut and they were going to drive to Rhode Island or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Like they were going to make their a flight somehow. And they got in there that night and it's I think the only time I've ever met someone and the first time I met him, like we just hugged mm-hmm. and embraced and like instantly bros. Then that party was just mm-hmm. so fun, and and then they came out and people carried them in a casket oh. to the stage. And that coffin was sitting in the back of Parkside for probably about a year. Yeah, yeah. That's... We made it at Drahobles, I think. Yeah, I didn't. You guys made it. Yeah, yeah. and we made that wheel of shame. Oh god, it was so <laughs> sick. Like it had like shots of Jaeger, yeah. shots of stupid tequila. <laughs> just like you win nothing, so you put like five bucks down and spin uh-huh. the wheel and be like Jaeger bomb and shit like okay. yeah oh man that was a fun one yeah yeah there's uh, there's a lot of memories that we probably don't have from that period yeah <laughs> but I know <laughs> a lot of those memories luckily I had a digital camera yeah because everyone was just starting to blog and everything because yeah you had that you know of course like you know Dodes and, and Logan yeah. had their stuff and mm-hmm. yeah and that's bummer yeah <laughs> yeah uh I swear, like, when I started blacking out, I would wake up and I'd be like, fuck, so rad that I still take photos when I'm blacked out because all this shit that I don't remember, I have photos of it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's why I stopped drinking that heavily. It was because it's just like I didn't take many photos, so I didn't have the documentation. I'm like, I want to remember these things. Yeah. Did you ever get, like, calls or anything the next day saying, like, dude, you blew it? Um, Rarely. Yeah. You know, but I had a couple of those and I think that really, I don't think it stopped me like really actually. Mm. I would just be like, what do they call it? That's like some guilt you get like a shame over. Oh, yeah. And and you're like sitting there for a day like, I'll never drink again. Mm -hmm. And then by that night, you're out chasing the hair of the dog. Yeah. (laughs) Because you're (laughs) like, I got to fucking, I feel horrible. Uh, That was the age though. Yeah. That was so sick. Like, we knew all the bartenders. Yeah, so you didn't really pay for that much. Yeah. It was very affordable to drink. And they loved to get you. Like, last call, they just wanted you to make sure that you went home fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> now I look at kids doing that, and I I just am like, wait, I'm, I'm going to be a hypocrite right now. <laughs> Dude, slow down a little. <laughs> Fallis um, texted in, and he asked, have you ever hooked up with a raccoon while dressed as Mario? <laughs> it was a raccoon dressed as a sailor, um, and yes. <laughs> What's that all about? <laughs> it was... Um, Halloween party? Yeah, yeah, we played in Vancouver, and uh, yeah. Have you ever fanned out on someone? Um, I remember one time... Uh, Pins of Light played with uh, with Jello's band, and at the time he had Andrew Weiss playing bass. Uh huh. And Andrew Weiss was in like Rollins band and Ween and just like you know. So I grew up listening to the guy, and so it's just like you know, just one of those like meeting your idols. Or he wasn't quite an idol, but he was just someone I looked up to, like all the stuff he did. Sure. And so I go up to talk to him, and I totally told him a story about seeing him in Ween one time. And the story I told him was about how they just kept fucking up this one song. <laughs> I'm just like, did I just kind of fan out on someone and just told him they just fucked up a bunch? He was great. He's like, what song? And I, I remembered at the time. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. So I guess I didn't insult him. 
If you could pick anybody out there, though, like you get to go out for drink <coughs> for drinks with somebody, do you have somebody that you'd be like, dude, it'd be so sick to just sit down and pick this guy's brain or this girl's brain? Um, uh, Brian Eno. Brian Eno. Yeah, I like. I mean, there's probably a bunch of people different days. Yeah, sure. I'd have different answers, but mine's always Bill Murray. Oh God, yeah, he'd be great too. <laughs> yeah, I just like Eno is so into like the process of doing things uh-huh. and. I enjoy process almost more than like the finished project. Like recording, like I'm, I'm doing like all this stuff by myself right now. I've been playing live with like a loop pedal. I'm like, okay, how am I gonna record this so I can like isolate all the tracks? Huh. So I've been reading a bunch of Eno stuff and I'm, so I'm like mapping it all out. Like I've got all this cryptic paper, like okay, do this, play this eight times, do, you know, these are the tracks things are gonna be on. And, yeah. and right now with, with Psychic Hit, the main band I'm playing with, we're starting to do that because we're writing for, we're recording in the fall. Oh, so nice. So we're mapping out all these songs that we're writing. So I, I love the process almost more than the finished product because it's just, I don't know, when it's finished, it's like, okay, now I do I, that again. I but. know what you mean. That's kind of the same with video editing. Like yeah. you want to do all the tweaks and bells and then get all the levels perfect mm-hmm. and like see this thing come together. But when it's finally done, you're like, I don't think I want to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then like years down the road, you're going to, no matter what you do, you're going to look oh. at it and be like, oh yeah, I could have done that. You know, like I listened to old Hightower records and I'm like, you know, like they should stay the same. Like there, that's the moment in time. Sure. But I'm like, oh, I could have done that better. Oh, there's a little, you know, I missed that one, but I don't think anyone knows, you know. Yeah. There's actually, uh, in, uh, if you listen to Force and the Fury, if you listen to my verses, I switch two lines. Like the first verse and the second verse, like two of the lines are reversed, and it's because oh. I totally fucked it up. And it oh, ended wow. up on the recording. Yeah. And I didn't, I don't think I even realized because I was probably so nervous. I don't like singing very much. That's amazing. Let's go to a Hightower song. Which song should we play right now? Um, from Hightower? Yeah. I mean, we just played the Silly Pink Bunny Convention. We played Statler's Quest, and I just I love playing that song. It's epic. It's really long. Yeah. So I don't know if it's too long for your thing, but... Well, we'll play, play a part of it. Yeah. I just it's Maybe just, we'll play the whole thing. Yeah. I don't know. Here it is. This is Hightower with Statler's Quest.
song actually. I think I did a little edit with Rehobo to the just beginning part of that one. I, I don't remember what it was. It might have been some crooked little commercial we made or something, but I remember the beginning. The mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about Pins of Light. Let's talk about Pins of Light. Let's talk about Pins of Light. <laughs> uh -huh. How did that all start? Um, I had met all those guys, like, just through being around. I'd, Who are the I'd, dudes? Um, well, I would occasionally work the door at Annie's. Remember oh, Annie's yeah. Social Club? Fuck yeah. That yeah. was by the fucking Trife HQ. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I would occasionally work the door there, and Ravi, at the time, he wasn't even a bartender. I think he was just bar backing. So I had met him there, you know, and, like, I got along with Ravi really well. Uh-huh. And we had just, you know, always, like, you're like, oh, yeah, let's, like, you know, we should jam, we should jam. And then eventually it's just, like, he comes up to me. He's like, hey, I started playing with this drummer, and it was... Uh, it was Vaughn from Fleshies. He plays guitar in Fleshies, but he wanted to play drums in a band. So I jammed with them and I had a blast. And then uh, they, I was like, oh, are you thinking of another person? And they're like, yeah, we want someone who plays bass and sings. And Vaughn, I think one of them, said that uh, they were thinking about Shane Baker. And I was like, oh, I've got his phone number. So we called Shane and like he was down. And then eventually Vaughn, uh, didn't want to do it anymore, so we. Uh, it was right around when Triclops broke up, and so I was just like, "Oh, I've always wanted to play with Phil Becker," so we called him and somehow suckered him into the process, and <laughs> and and like nothing against Vaughn's drumming, but Vaughn's more of a guitar player, yeah. and Phil is just a beast. You know? He's <laughs> so technical drummer, right? Technician. Oh, yeah, he just hits hard, perfect. He's like he's very nerdy about drums too, and about sound and tone. Yeah. He He's he, the type of guy that could come tune your drums. He oh, knows about that. Oh yeah, yeah. Well he's <laughs> he's also a recording engineer. Uh-huh. So he recorded a lot of the stuff for Pins of Light, which saved us a bunch of money. So we go into a studio, get all like the big sounds, like, you know, we recorded like um Kurt Schlegel and Phil Manley on the first record, and then we did all the overdubs in our practice space. And then we did the second record with Donnie Newhouse and did the same thing. Mm. And now Phil is part of El Studio. And uh, so he's just recording all the time. He just did the new Big Business record, which is, oh. uh, yeah. Yeah, Phil's doing some really awesome things. I love Big Business. Yeah. Uh, and then what was the connection there with, was it Alternative Tentacles? Yeah. Did an album or? Yeah, Phil and Shane in previous bands, Shane was in Dead and Gone, uh -huh. who are doing a show at Gilman soon. Oh, whoa. Yeah, which is awesome. I think it's in August. Sick. And Phil was in Triclops, and both those bands had worked with AT before. So when we were looking for someone to put out the record and that came up, I was like, yeah, like, why wouldn't I want to do something with them? It's like, yeah. Yeah, and when we met with Jello for the first time, I had never met Jello before, right. and he walks into the practice space, and I remember he's wearing this belt buckle. And if you look at all like the old footage that you always see, he's like wearing those gloves and doing like you know California Uber Alice or something. Yeah. And he's got this belt buckle with a badge, and he walks in. I'm like, he's wearing that fucking belt buckle. Yeah, it blew me away. And that's I think I was probably really nervous because all of a sudden it made like I'd seen him around. Right. Because, you know, you hear that voice on the other side of the club and you know sure. who it is. It's like, yeah, I got really, I got kind of intimidated, but Jello's, Jello's cool. Like, yeah. I don't know him super well, but I definitely, you know, when I see him out, we have conversation. He's, he's, 
a lot what you expect, I guess. He's super interesting. Definitely, he knows who he is. Um, a little narcissist. You know, some people say that, but it's just like, you know, the guy's been around forever, and when so many people just talk to you about you, I'm sure you just are used to steering the conversation that way. Yeah. And he's got a lot of opinions that sometimes people don't like to hear, mm -hmm. but I feel like it's just him being honest. He, like, when we were doing this stuff with him, he would, like, he listens to everything, and he critiques everything. So it's just like he has input. Not saying we listen to a lot of it, but he has input on everything, and it's because he listens. Right. Like, so much of the stuff, like, you send a demo to AT, and Jello probably has listened to it. Huh. Yeah. So what's the current status with Pins of Light? Um, we're doing a couple of shows in August, which should be fun. We're playing uh, Sean and Candace's uh, anniversary party at Bottom of the Hill. Sick. Because we played their wedding. Right. Yeah. Um, and How cool. Yeah. And then we're doing a show at Winters with Drunk Horse. Shout out to Sean and Candace. Shout out. Sean Samford yeah. is actually, mm, I'm going to give him 43. Shout out to Bryce Knight. Shout out. Percent responsible for me starting a podcast. Oh, really? Yeah, he was talking to me a while about doing, like, um, he writes. Mm -hmm. And I think he has a podcast where he tells his stories. Mm -hmm. And he was like, sometime you should come over and be one of the characters and we could vibe. And I was like, I'm so down. That'd be fun. Sounds yeah. rad. And for some reason, our schedules never lined up or whatever. Like, it was always like, oh, I can't that day and he can't. That, you know, mm -hmm. this typical story of our lives these days. Yep. Anyway, I just was like, I'm going to try to do this. Yeah. And then I just was like, at the end of the year last year, I was like, I'm going to do one every week next year for the whole year. I'm going to do 52 episodes and just challenge myself. Get as, out, see what happens. As you should. It's like you're, you should jump into things that scare the crap out of you. Right. You know, I'm sure the first time you did this, you're just like, okay, how do I do this? I'm so nervous. I'm hearing my voice. Yeah. And that's, that's part of like, Part of being alive is just putting yourself in situations where, like, you don't know the outcome. You don't know if it's going to be good or bad. But it's it's better to do something and it just be terrible than to not do it. Because yeah, you don't know. It, it don't might know. be awesome. Like, this podcast, like, you know, you're how many episodes in now? And, like... Oh, this is number 25. Yeah. And so it's, like, you never know. You could be at, like, episode, like, you know, 943 and be, like... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people start like that. Like I listen to podcasts regularly now and I feel like some of the hosts will be like, I remember when I started this, I thought it was a joke. And now I'm at like 1,000, like Joe Rogan, I think. He's like on like in the thousands oh, yeah. or whatever. And he's like started out like just kind of like, let's see what this is about or whatever. Yeah. Not I've saying that's where I'm headed, but uh, have you listened to any of these? Your podcast? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've listened to a bunch of them. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not up on all of them. Yeah. But, yeah, I've listened to, you know, probably 10 of them at least. Does any stick out? Um, you know, one that, like, so, like, Peabody. Uh -huh. I see him around. I don't really know him well. Oh. But, like, I'm always, like, happy to see him and stuff. So I've never had, like, a conversation with him. But hearing his stories, it's just, like, the he's man. a good storyteller. Yeah. Yeah, he is a good storyteller. He, uh... It was cool watching him mm -hmm. grow up, you know? Yeah. I've seen him kind of be in his shell mm -hmm. to kind of sticking his head out of the shell to ripping the shell off. Yeah. And that's been really cool. 
All those kids are rad. Sean, oh, him. Kieran Sean's Fat, was great too. I'm trying to too. get Fatty on oh, soon. You should like that whole crew. Yeah, like watching like I forget that they were so young when they first hit like yeah, the Crocker, Crocker days and yeah. everything. And yeah, it's you know like I see Sean around. I run into him a lot, and it's I I like that guy. But yeah, like Peabody, I don't know him well, so it was cool to hear that. And then of course you know like hearing all the people that we you know we're hanging out with back then it's nice to hear but it's like i know a lot of those stories sure you know i was like oh yeah i remember that i was there yeah so but which is awesome too because it just uh, we all love hearing stories about good times we had uh-huh but it's cool to hear about other people too yeah i was bummed when halsey was in town and i didn't get to see her oh yeah so disappointed in myself it was just like I was so hyped to see her. She's, uh, she's the best. I know. I she's, miss her a lot. Yeah. Tracy, too. I mean, everybody, mm-hmm. but... Yeah. Well, that's a per- perfect segue to my next couple questions, yeah. which are San Francisco, the city that we know it today, mm-hmm. as opposed to when you lived there. Um, you moved out of the city. You moved to L.A. for a little bit. For and now you're in Oakland or Berkeley? Oakland, Oakland yeah. Did you move out of the city because of what it was becoming, or? It was a few different things. Um, it was, there was no loss of love. It was a really tough thing to leave, because uh-huh. I was, you know, I'd been there at 15 years at that point, yep. and 13 of it in the same house, which was nice, because I had rent control. I had a big three-bedroom right off of 24th Street for like 1700 <sighs> I know. It's, <laughs> that's the toughest thing. But it was time. It was like I was walking up and down the hallway all in my house and just being like, I feel like I'm going to die here and be the ghost that haunts this place. It's like Groundhog's Day. Yeah. In a way, you know, Molly, um, my lovely wife-to-be, mm. um, she got offered a job in L.A. And we're just like, yeah, let's try something different. Maybe L.A. is a bit more affordable. You know, we have friends down there. And L.A. was a blast for a year, but it just wasn't where we wanted to be. And then, uh, you know Sandy Cruz. Mm-hmm. We're up here visiting one weekend, and Molly's hanging out with Sandy, and Sandy's like, there's an apartment opening up in our building. Mm. So we moved into it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I share a wall with Sandy Cruz. Oh. Yeah. What, what do you think of the city today? I just went uh, last night, um, Cheryl and I went and saw this movie, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. I need to see that. In I San Francisco. Hearing, I keep hearing it's good. I'll just... I'm not a movie critic. Mm-hmm. I don't even play one on TV or mm-hmm. anything, but I fucking really highly recommend that movie. Mm-hmm. And the dudes, some of the cast was at the theater um, for a Q&A afterwards, mm-hmm. so I got to talk to those guys. Actually, might if everything works out, I might have one of them on the podcast, which I'll be super psyched about. Okay. But they all grew up in Western Edition. Mm-hmm. They've been you know, in the city their whole life. Mm-hmm. I think fourth generation, a couple of the guys are, whatever. The whole movie, not to spoil it or anything, but it's about gentrification and right. how... That how doesn't uh, surprise me with a title like that. R- right. Um, a lot of it's filmed in Hunter's Point. It's just amazing to see. The, first of all, the cinematography is so epic. Like, mm-hmm. Indorf's going to love it. Like, his those mm-hmm. guys that, like, pride themselves in filming and doing angles and colors. Mm-hmm. Like, this is... It speaks out to that. It's really beautiful. But... Not to get carried away with that, kind of to wrap it back around is just like, it's just a common theme in in almost everyone I talk to 
you know, in today's life, whether they're an old friend or a current friend, they lived in SF or they still do. Obviously, there's some major changes going on in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pushed a lot of our good friends away. They've fucked with, um, you know, like a story I heard was this guy moved into uh, the neighborhood right next to uh, the makeout room. Mm-hmm. Shortly after that, he told the makeout room they shouldn't play shows after a certain hour. Mm-hmm. Why'd you move? Like that's you know, that's the thing that annoys me about it. It's, it's like, like you're killing the yeah. culture that drew you to. The well, city. a lot of those people didn't come for the culture. They came because of the gold rush. Right. So a lot of people just go right into the, I hate what's going on there now, which, you know, I'm not happy about it, but there's still a lot of good. Yeah. I will preface it with that. But it's people coming for the gold rush. Like, they're from wherever that's a lot cheaper to live, and they've done something where they can get a tech job. But so they, they come out to get the gold rush and make all the money, and then they're just going to leave. Yeah, but even if you're coming out for the gold rush, mm-hmm. you still do a little research. Like, you don't move next to a people hospital, aren't, but right? They're like, n- people aren't doing the research. You can't move next yeah. to a hospital and complain about sirens. Yeah. You know, it's like... But people are. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's what blows me away. Yeah, the attic had the same problem. I think Bottom of the um, Hill has gone in and out of these yep. issues. Um, the Independent like, is having trouble. Bent. Slims. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like people move in, and it's like you... When we moved there, it's like we kind of had to respect the neighborhood because right. of how gnarly the mission was at that moment. You know, the only people on our block that, you know, that it was like we had us and then we had like, you know, like the Julian Noah house across the street. And then everyone else was just like old mission neighborhood. Like right. you didn't fuck with any of them. You had to just respect them. Yeah. And because you know you just had to they weren't always nice people but they were you know we befriended them so all these people come in and they feel like the neighborhood should change for them there's not a we were here first clause which there totally should be yeah and that's the problem it's just like I don't I don't blame anyone for wanting to move here because it's awesome it's like there's a reason we all moved to the Bay Area I mean you're from here but you moved to San Francisco yeah it's great out here yeah but you don't well, I can't say you don't because people do, but you shouldn't go into a place and just be like, well, now this place is mine. I'm going to try and change it. It's, but people do. And unfortunately, money is what wins. Money is power. Yeah. And these people all have a lot of it. And a lot of the people we're associated with, you know, don't. Topher from Funeral Chant was just here and we're going to take a little break and we'll Listen to a few of our friends. We'll be right back. Yo, this is Marius Savannah, and you're listening to Talking Schmidt. Check out lowcardmag.com. Leave in the comments. Magnethead sent me, and I'll throw you in some free stuff. Have you ever thought about scoring, uh, like, a film with the music? I would love to do that. Yeah? Like, whether it's by myself or Hightower's always wanted to do it. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, that's, like, that's kind of a dream. So anyone like, out there, if you need some film score, let me know. I got guitars, synthesizers. All Sean Sanford's got the um, story, so he's oh, yeah. just got to put it up, put everybody to work. Let's. Uh, oh yeah, he could put me to work. Describe what that is that you're doing right now with the solo project. Oh, it's called Your Leader. Yeah, Your and, Leader. Yeah, and it's something I've been doing for just years, but never really let anyone know because uh-huh. it didn't seem that important to put it out there. Uh huh. But then I discovered loop pedals, 
and figure out how to like make things happen live. And I'm like, oh, I should just. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I've recorded that can't happen live. Yeah, it's just too many layers, and sure. it's not meant for that. But I've also been doing it live with like a couple of big amplifiers, like this thing right here that people can't see, but it's a PV. It's a PV cabinet with two tens and one eighteen. And when you run synthesizers through that, it shakes the floor. Yeah, so I just do like loopy stuff with that. And you know, I do a couple of shows a year, I guess, now. Yeah, it's, and that's another thing where it goes back to doing things that scare the hell out of yourself. Yeah. Because when being you're playing, alone. yeah, being alone in front of people is, is terrifying. Anything it, goes wrong, there's no one to look at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's also you're by yourself, so people don't really realize what goes wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and things go wrong every single show. Uh -huh. There's a ghost in the machine somewhere that's going to make things odd. But it's nerve-wracking just being like, okay, I'm the only one here. Like, you look out and, like, people are looking at you. It's not like, okay, they're looking at someone else in the band right yeah. now. You know? And it's not music I can just jump around to either. Yeah. So a lot of you know, my stage presence, I guess, with other bands is a lot of movement. Mm. And it's, you know, I'm like kind of locked to a synthesizer for part of it. Okay. I play guitar too, but yeah, so there's not crazy movement. Mm. So it's a little weird. It's like a couple of weeks ago, I had two shows in a week. One was with Psychic Hit and we played at the chapel, which was crazy. It's like this big, huge show. Um, Shannon Shaw invited us to play. And so it was sold out. Noelle's playing with her. So it was rad getting to hang out with no Noelle. Way. Right. Yeah. You should do a I podcast was, with her, man. I'm trying. Yeah. Noelle, shout out. Yeah. Come on. The um, deserters. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's killing it. Then the next week, I did a show in a cafe out in the Richmond district in front of like almost no one. Oh. By, and it's just by myself. And I was just like, I looked at my hand and like I'm pressing the keys and my hands are shaking. Whoa. I was talking to my dad because today is Father's Day. And he's like, Happy I Father's think, Day, Dad. I think when you turn 50, you should do a 50-day challenge. And I was like, what would that be? And he's like, well, what if it was... And we started going through some ideas. I don't know if we ended up with this one, but it was the push-up challenge mm -hmm. where it's first day you do one push-up, second day you do two, two, all mm -hmm. the way up to 50, right? Yeah. And then I was like... What about when you get to 50, could you do five sets of 10? And he's like, no, you would do 50 sets of one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing, though. You should do like these challenges. Like Everyone's on the 30-day challenge or yeah, things nowadays. Or yeah, but it's a good thing. I've been doing 30-day things like pretty much since I moved to California because huh. we used to have a like, sober September. Oh. You know, and you clean yourself out. And I still do it most years. Uh, mine um, was February, sober February, because yeah. it had the least amount of days in the, the month that had the least amount of days. Yeah, it doesn't have as nice of a ring as sober September, though. <laughs> yeah, but it was easiest to get through. Those extra three days are going to get me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but challenges like that, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to eat fruit every day for 30 days. I'm going to, like, make sure I, you know, get on my bike. I make sure that I do, or just try and do something. To, yeah. Because 30 days, you build or break a habit. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I've been trying to lose weight, and mm -hmm. it's really hard in the beginning, but once it starts rolling, you're like, okay, I've built this habit or broke this habit or whatever, and you get into this rhythm. Yeah, and with diet, it's a whole other thing because your body gets used to things. Like, the bacteria in your body 
send signals for you to crave things. Uh -huh. And it gets used to what you're eating, which is why it's so hard to change food habits. Sure. Especially things like sugar. Like everyone's off sugar. I mean, I eat some sugar. Uh -huh. I don't eat a ton of it. Um, but it's, your body craves certain things. Yeah. So to change your habit, you have to do it for a bunch of days. So if you realize like, when I do the things where I eat fruit every day for a month, by the end of the month, my body's craving fruit. You know, it's like people who, who That's drink. That's like ice cream. It's yeah. really hard. And then all of a sudden you stop eating it for a while and you're mm -hmm. like, okay, like ice cream's a bad example because I'll always crave it. But yeah. you can mm -hmm. get out of that craving stage. Yeah. I used to eat a ton of candy. I had like, I would eat candy meals. I'd eat like candy for dinner. Right. Like it was just chocolate mostly. And so I went a year. I had like a New Year's thing. I'm like, okay, this entire year, I'm only going to eat chocolate if it's offered to me. Ooh. And I didn't really tell people, but Dave knew about it. So Dave would eat chocolate in front of me all the time. Just be a dick. <laughs> yeah, and just not Fucking offer it because he knew my rules. <laughs> Winding this thing down, what's going on with this new band, Psychic Hit, that you're in? It's so much fun. Yeah? Yeah, it's, it's this positive group of people, and we're playing like, it's metal. It's like, it's always hard to describe your own shit, but... Um, it's just like, it's like older metal, like early Maiden, early Priest, early Thin Lizzy, but it's got other things. Like it's got a little bit of Turkish psychedelia in there. It's got like synthesizers here and there. Um, we're coming from somewhere, but we're trying not to put a ton of rules. Like we're not trying to be one of those like strict bands. Like, okay, we have to do this because this is how it's done. Mm. Um, and I think part of that also is because there's, it's three women and two men in the band. So they have a, it's, it is different playing with them, but it's all so positive. They're just like, they're killer musicians. Like all four of the people I'm playing with are just great and open and positive. And the music is so much fun to play. My fingers get to just noodle everywhere. Yeah. I learn from all of them. Mel, the bassist, I've known since the early 2000s because I know her through the walking crew. It's female vocals? Yeah. Yeah, Ari just belts it out. She does vocals and violin. Is she was she in uh, Queen Crescent? Or? No, that's uh, that's Dre. Dre. Yeah, she okay. played guitar in Queen she, Crescent, and she plays guitar in yours. Yep. Yeah, she's so it's a five-piece band. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Which, so three guitars or just a singer that doesn't play? She sings and plays violin. Oh, yeah. Violin. So there's violin here and there. She'll probably get on synth here and there too. I mean, the synthesizer I'm using actually belongs to her. Nice. Yeah. Okay. I, I got to get out and see you guys. I haven't seen... I got a couple of tunes that you sent me, and it mm -hmm. sounds rad, but I haven't got yeah. to see you live. Well, we're playing right by your house at Parkside in August. Oh, so. sick. You think you're going to open it up with The Fowl? The Fool? Or The Fool. <laughs> the Fowl. We've got a song about a bird. Second we song may. might be Left for Dead. You might uh, end it with Whip. <laughs> oh, you're reading our set list. Yeah, that's the set I'm list. I'm looking at the set list right here yeah. in the practice studio. <laughs> that's why you messed up it. <laughs> that's why I said the foul instead yeah. of the fool. I've been doing this thing because um, I got voted the number one feminist podcast in all of skateboarding by Jezebel. Um, and so I've been doing kind of a new thing where I ask kind of a, a male perspective mm -hmm. question for the feminist world. Mm -hmm. yeah. Last week we asked, is it still called mansplaining if it's a man to another man? I've definitely seen men do that to other men. I don't know if it's still called that. Yeah. But I've 
you know, I've seen, like, I've had dudes mansplain to me. Yeah. <laughs> if that's the term for it in that way. Because uh-huh. it's just, I think a lot of that is just the nature of how some people's brains work. But do you got a good question? For that? No. But, I mean, skateboarding's been such a boys club for a long time. Right. Which, so it's probably not hard for you to get that title. Mm. But it's so cool to see, like, the younger gen. Because it's like, girls are just, they're killing it now. Okay, I got I got one for you then. Okay. Do we call them she-boarders? Do we like the term she-boarders? No, I think it's kind of... Do you think that's an insult? To, do you think a girl likes she-boarders? Or she's like, I want my own club, or I want to be in the club with everybody? See, I think you've got the gen below us that it's just the girls are ripping, like, as hard as the dudes now. It's uh-huh. like there's no doubt about that. Like, right. they've gotten over the stereotypes, they've gotten over the fear. I think the generation after that... Like, you're going to have to start having contests and everything where it's not, like, men's and women's division. I think the way skateboarding is so much style and there's, like, different tricks and it's not, like, a contact sport. Well, I guess it kind of is. But it's not. So there's no reason why one gender is necessarily physically inclined to be better than the other. So whether you're, like, you know, born a man, a woman, whether you're trans, none of that stuff, I think, is going to matter two generations from now. So I think it's just going to be skateboarding. So to keep putting these gender roles on it, I think it's just keeping the lines divided. Do you think that's going to happen with everything like soccer, baseball? I was just discussing this with someone because there's that, that thing with that MMA fight. Right. You know, and that, you know, that trans woman like almost killed like a, a, another woman. And it's, you know, because being born male, you have this, a different structure. Yeah. And I think a lot of that fight too, it's just bad sportsmanship. Like, do you have to like beat someone that senseless? I don't care like what gender is fighting what gender. You just shouldn't beat someone that senseless. Like you already won. Do you have to win that much farther Uh where it actually like almost kills someone? Sure. It's, it's bad. And I think with a lot of sports like that, I think they're going to have to find a way that's outside of gender to categorize it. Uh-huh. You're going to have to, I don't, like, I don't really, besides skateboarding and riding my bike, I'm, I've never been part of uh, like organized team sports, so I, I'm not the one to answer the question on how a better way to categorize besides gender, maybe muscle mass, maybe this, maybe that. Uh-huh. But there's going to have to be a new category or a new way to categorize because like, if you've got you know, trans people entering these things now, you know, the next generation, 10, 15 years from now, there's going to be a lot more. Like, it's coming. You're mm. not going to stop it. So you have to find a better way to make these things more even in, like, in matchup outside of gender. And I think you'll see, I think it's a positive thing, too, because it's going to, it's going to make all these matches, whether it's teams or individuals, like, against each other, you're going to find that, like, they're going to be more evenly matched, so it's going to make for a more exciting you know, game. It's not just going to be like one destroying the other in some way. Because sure. in any sport, when you watch, you know, someone just destroy someone, like, oh, we got a hundred points and this person got three points. It's just like you're just destroying it at that point. So I think a new categorization, and it's going to also like we all know the gender pay is very. It's not equal at all. Uh-huh. So if you have other ways of doing it, it's going to solve that problem too. Because right. you're not going to get paid less because you're a woman. Yeah. You're going to get paid for your skills, you know? Right. It doesn't matter. You know, you just interviewed Lizzie. Yeah. She can compete with the men. Yeah. 
in sheet place. You know, it's just it's. It, it's all getting, it's all yeah. going to go, it all should go away. It's because, cool to watch that grow, actually. Yeah. Every year, because we were talking about when I was at the girls' combi, mm -hmm. and it was like, I'd say two or three, I'll just say three um, years ago, mm -hmm. the level compared to this year, mm -hmm. like the guy's level is kind of like flattened out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like it gets better, but mm -hmm. like, unless you're a real skater you don't see it as much mm -hmm. with the girls level you're like holy fuck yeah like just... there's girls doing stand-up like over crook grinds in the pool and shit like every time and you're like what the fuck that's insane mm -hmm. yeah and why shouldn't they because there's yeah. nothing that you know your genitalia has nothing to do with how well you can skate. With skateboarding, maybe it has to do with the popularity too. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think it was as pop, I mean, I know it wasn't as popular mm -hmm. before. So it's it's attracting more athletic people. Like instead of playing baseball, soccer, or football, mm -hmm. I want to be a skater now. Yeah. Whereas before you were groomed to be a baseball player if you were an athlete or, mm -hmm. or a football player or basketball or whatever. So that's, yeah, I don't know, I've been, tripping off that stuff lately it's been uh yeah you're deep in it so it's cool to see the progression i'm sure you know women have a lot to say and they've got a lot of things to bring to this world there's no reason why we should exclude that just because of gender yeah absolutely. you know molly is a very powerful woman it's wonderful getting to wake up next to her every day huh. i'm in a band with these women that are just amazing and it's just like the stereotypes just need to go away for sure. Yeah, it's that's cool. Yeah. Well, shit. What you got? Any shout outs you want to give before we fucking get out of here? There's. I feel like I've done a lot of sh <laughs> shout outs and name dropping. I don't know. I've been surrounded by so many good people. I feel bad for. I don't know. It's just. I guess the stories haven't turned to certain people. But sure. Like, I'm surprised like Andreas hasn't come up in conversation. You need to get him on this oh, podcast. Yeah. That dude's Andreas, one of the best storytellers I've known. Cruise up to SF, shout out, yeah. shout he out. He was one of the great things about when I was in LA, getting to see him all the time. Mm -hmm. um, just like all the Nargoyle dudes, like all my friends back east, everyone around, you know, Vancouver scene, wherever. Everyone's, yeah. we're lucky, man. How would you describe Silly Pink Bunnies to someone who's not familiar? They call themselves a gang. It's just a, you know, like we all have a name for our skate crew. Yeah. You know, it's just like the dorky group of dudes you grew up skating with. And that's what Silly Pink Bunny started as. And then just, it just grew. Mm. And so it, it started with a nucleus from the same area. Yeah, yeah. And it from Albany, of I guess. went different avenues and each guy that went a different avenue picked up some new ones from the from wherever they like Jeremy came to SF and now mm -hmm. Brian Coons is part of it. Or. Yeah. And just like everyone splintered off. So there's like, you know, huge Denver contingency. There's like there's little bits all around. So when they have their get-togethers, it's super fun because it's all these dudes who've known each other forever. Yeah. I feel like we're new blood in there, yeah. but we played a bunch. Like the first bu few that we played, like, you know, we weren't actually bunnies. So we'd all wear our like Nargoyle <laughs> shirts and stuff. Did you go to this recent one? We played it, yeah, in New York. I heard that uh, they were on a boat with Cool Keith. Dude, that Freddy was... told me it was like all time. Yeah, it was like the the one of the nights that was like the event yeah so we're you know you get on the boat you're in the east river and so it, was the boat rented it's just you or is there other people it was i believe it was public oh but they organized it um but it was like it was pretty much the bunnies yeah 
and you go out and you know everyone's like you know drinking having a good time smoking a bunch of weed and because uh, those guys they they all puff tough and it was like 420 weekend oh, so oh boy um you know we're out you go to the statue of liberty you know everyone gets their pictures it's all nice and then on the ride back all of a sudden cool keith is there doing like you know you know a lot of Dr. Octagon, Ultra Mag stuff. It was just, it was so sick. No Yeah, way. and the dude, I don't know. Shout out to Cool Keith. Shout if out. anyone knows who was playing with Cool Keith that night, that other guy was killing it. And somehow, I don't know who it is. And Rap I feel also? Or? Yeah. Okay. And like the two of them. like Dr. He, Octagon was my shit yeah. for a while. Oh, yeah, that, that first Dr. Octagon. Gator half man. Oh, man, yeah. He opened with Blue Flowers. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was i seen him at the dna like a long mm-hmm. time ago yeah it was, it was surreal yeah he's so good so cool i think we covered anything else we need to cover uh not that i could think about you well know. you got a itinerary you want to sh- shane said make sure we hype up high towers plane <laughs> of course he did august 25th with the slashers at mm-hmm. bottom of the hill san francisco buy mm-hmm. your tickets now that it'll be sold out for sure uh sean john promises to be there <laughs> yeah. Pins the light is playing in August also. No, we're playing in November. November. Yeah. That's yeah. Sean and Candace's anniversary. Yeah, and we're doing a show at Winters also with Drunk Horse. In Pacifica? Yeah. How do we like Winters? I've never been there. Oh, it's the best. Really? It, it feels like you're so far out of town. Yeah. And CJ, the guy who runs it, is he's the sickest. Okay. You feel like you're way out of town. If he likes you, all of a sudden like a tray of shots shows up on stage uh-huh. and it's it's cool i highly recommend if you see that a band is playing there go check it go yeah right. you'll see a band that normally plays a bigger place in a tiny little dive bar that feels so far out of town maybe tim mckenney will come out he lives a couple blocks from there oh yeah um and then psychic hit their next show um our next show is probably that parkside show and we're also going up to nevada city to do uh, play this this little thing called Escape from the Bay that oh, they cool. do up there. Nevada City's super fun and um, yeah. Molten are playing. What so what's the date on that? That is August tenth. It's that weekend. It's Ooh, a Friday. Yuba yeah. River. Yeah. So yeah, come Best up. It's gonna ever. be fun. Yeah. And Molten are playing, so you get to see Chris Corona and Bristol. Right. So okay, we're gonna leave it on this. The Tony Farmer question of the uh, the podcast. <laughs> oh, shit. The greatest rock and roll band from the United States of all time cannot be like Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. Has to be a band. Okay. Can't be like a, a one like a Prince. Can't be like yeah. one guy. Uh-huh. Has to be a band. Oh man. Um and it's just gotta be like rock and roll. No. Could oh, okay. be anything. But well, I think it was rock and roll was but if you think that there's something more appealing than like, uh, as Tony would like to say, Aerosmith, um, as Toad would like to say, <laughs> Van Halen, uh, these are some of the names mm-hmm. that have been thrown around. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, Aerosmith aren't my bag of dicks, but uh, <laughs> sorry, Ari. Uh, Van Halen are great. Um, you know, like a quintessential rock band. I mean, Van Halen are just like, they're what you want. You know, you got the front man, you know, uh, you've Dave. got, yeah, you've got no the shredding hair. guitar player, you got the sick rhythm section, the backing vocals. Yeah. Um, you know, though I do love Van Halen. Greatest. Eric um, Shea maybe said Credence. I could see Eric Shea saying that. 
I love Creedence Hall. See, the greatest is like it's so it's so tough. Yeah. Because a day of the week you get a different answer. You know, like when I go to like Desert Island Records, I think like, oh, Minutemen, but they're not like a rock band; they're a punk. No, but they yeah. could be in there. Yeah. Like Bad Brains was discussed. Okay. Dinosaur Junior. Uh, Mud Honey, Nirvana, mm-hmm. like there's a lot of yeah. different kind of genres that fit it. Basically, anybody that sings and plays uh, yeah. instruments. Yeah, I mean, like if I had a time machine, I think Minutemen would be like a band that, like, because they were just so different and weird. And but didn't... I think Tony would come in and say, but they only had two albums. They had a bunch of albums. Did they? Yeah, I mean, their albums were really short because like their songs. Firehose are... doesn't count Minutemen, right? Yeah, yeah, Firehose and Minutemen are very different things. Yeah. Completely different beasts. Um, you know, I love Watt. Yeah, Watt's the Yeah. Shit. Huh. Uh, All right. But yeah, I guess Minutemen, um, I don't know. I, I'll probably like call you later and be like, oh, it should have been this. Because <laughs> it's like, you know, I feel like I should have some like, you know, guitar rock god thing. But Ooh. A lot of the the rock bands that get like all, you know, like, oh, this is a quintessential rock band, like, there's things about them that I loved, but the whole like, I could never, like, it never, I couldn't relate to a lot of them, even though I liked the music. What was the newest Metallica that was tolerable? <laughs> Justice. Really? Yeah, and I, when that came out, I got a lot of shit for liking it. Uh-huh. Yeah. You talk to Shane, he'll say everyone. Even the newest? Oh, Shane, he loves it all. It took him a minute to get past Justice also. Uh-huh. But Shane will dive deep, you know, like, I'm not saying they didn't have any good riffs on those records. Sure. But it didn't speak to me like the others did. The others could have been a point in time. Yeah. You know, like those, you know, the first few, it's just, I still remember the minute I heard uh, Master of Puppets. I was in seventh grade. It's like that 14-year-old yeah, thing. Like absolutely. It just shapes your life. Which one, when did was Cliff? Cliff died when I was in seventh grade. So was Master of Puppets his last album? Yeah. Oh, and then okay. they did Justice after Justice that with, was with Newstead. Cliff. Yeah, okay. it was kind of with so Newstead. From... You can't hear him, but <laughs> he's supposed to be on the record. <laughs> oh, man. But shout out to uh, Trujillo. Shout out. I like Trujillo. Oh, yeah, he fits. like Robert Trujillo. Yeah, he, he made Metallica seem fun again. Yeah. Yeah, I think he made them have fun again. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, I guess Metallica. Like, you know, that those early Metallica days. Because they're, they're, you know, I could relate to them because they were just like sleeping on floors, just going for it. Just, they're just, local. Yeah. Yeah, I'd see them and like I could relate to them, you know, with like, you know, Cliff with the Misfits shirts. They, were, they weren't like trying to be this like pretty rock band. Like, look at us. We just like want to. Guns N' Roses? Yeah, Guns N' Roses. You know, I love Guns N' Roses, so I'm gonna say it. No, no, no. There's like Guns N' Roses. They but are. That's what you're talking about is the Axl Roses, right? Yeah, the, yeah. The Poisons, the guy that's kind of like borderline glamour. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Guns N' Roses have some riffs. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deny them that. Yeah. that but I just couldn't relate to them. Uh huh. Yeah, Metallica was kind of more the bag. Yeah, they were so relatable. Yeah. They had, they had like a punk rock heart, but they were playing metal. All right. Well, on our way out, which psychic hit song is going to relate to most of my listeners? The Whip is just, the, that's like the rocker. We've been closing with that the past few shows. Sure. Yeah. The Fool's really fun. It's a big epic. Um, but yeah, like if you're going to play one, like play The Whip. It's just, it's a rocker. I'm not on this recording, but I will be on the recordings that we do in the fall. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Good to catch up, dude. Thanks yeah. so much for spending the time. Yeah, I miss seeing you all the time, Freddie. Fucking miss you too. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm stoked and honored. <laughs>
later, everybody. Peace.
hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please subscribe now on Anchor, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like this show, one of the best ways to show some love is to write up a review. I always appreciate to hear your thoughts and detailed reviews are the best way for people to discover us. Also, a big shout out to our executive director, Cheryl Camisa. Shout out. Love it!